All right. Hello and welcome, everybody. Uh, it's another episode of Nerds of Legend. Again, we're doing our bi-weekly book talk. Uh, I'm Ben, as always, and to the, to the right of me is Brian, and below me is Brendan. And unfortunately, Joel and Missy aren't able to join us this week due to a conflict. Um, so maybe we'll get their thoughts from them later on the book or something like that. But for now, it's just going to be the three of us. Uh, I'll turn it over to Brian or Brendan right now to uh, introduce our book this week. All right, guys. So for this week's book reading, we're doing Desperate Measures by Joe Clifford Faust. This is part one or book one of Angel's Luck. Um, luck and the divine are a recurring theme in this series. I'll just read the back of the book for you guys. Late on payments for his spaceship and abandoned by his crew, James May jumped at the chance to hire a co-pilot who came complete with cargo. Next thing May knew, the co-pilot was a washout, the cargo was worthless, and his ship had been repossessed by a chief in the Yesheng crime syndicate. May needed the ship to survive, so he stole it back. But if he expected to live long, he'd have to repay his debts. So he could hardly turn on a job that promised wealth, heroism, and revenge against the Yesheng. In no time at all, May was up to his neck in trouble as he and a group of deadly mercenaries planned a daring escapade with only the slimmest chance of success. Everything would have to go like clockwork. And even then, only Angel's luck would save them. Mm -hmm. I will preface this by, uh, I told the story to Ben, I think it was mentioned in our last reading, that I got this book for a dollar when I was 12 or 13, and at that time thought it was the coolest thing ever. Um, I remember specifically a running theme of some comedy. Um, we'll go over how it has a very different perspective now that reading it as adults, uh, but I'll defer to our moderator for this week, Brian. Well, uh, welcome everybody. Uh, before we get into it, I think we should talk about some of the more problematic elements with this book. Mm. Uh, because there is a lot going on with this one where it's, um, it's no bueno. Um, <laughs> yeah. in short, yeah, it's, uh, uh, in short, there's, nope. there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of misogyny going on in here. Uh, the main character does not seem to have a very high opinion of women for the most part. It gets better later, but the, the start of the book is a little rocky. And then also the criminal syndicate, the Yisheng, is uh, uh, it, yeah. a little bit of racism going on. So there's there it's we're going to remind everyone this is a book from the 1980s, so there's a little bit of the the word orientals getting thrown around we're not going to get into that so much but just for anyone who hasn't read the book or is mad at us for doing this book for whatever reason uh just so a little bit of disclaimer right at the top so yeah um we were discussing as we were getting prepared for this podcast uh the historical context of the united states uh Faust is american in the 1980s uh, pertaining to relations with East Asia. So we had talked about how at the time Japan was a major economic power and um, you think about Back to the Future Part 2, you think about Big Trouble in Little China, um, Johnny Mnemonic going in, going into as late as the mid-90s. As the, mid um, the concept of the Japanese economy uh, potentially being the number one world economy meant that the East Asian perspective was subject of common conversation in the United States. You had uh, anime coming over in much larger quantities uh, starting in the mid-80s. I mean, you saw 
so, um, Star Blazers, you saw Space Battleship Yamato, uh, Gundam was picking up. Some of the first anime conventions were appearing in, uh, in California at this time. Uh, so having recency in the, in, in the public mind at the time doesn't necessarily mean that it was uh, immune from ethnocentrism. And uh, you can see the concept. The term that we no longer use today is problematic because of the concept of the other. And this book is definitely written from the perspective, uh, the Western perspective, let's just say. So uh, I suppose with that out of the way, uh, let's go into our non-spoiler territory here. Uh, and let's uh, talk a little bit about, like, just in a general sense, uh, Ben, what did you think of this book? Like, overall, is this something that you would recommend to a friend? Where would you kind of, like, rate this book on, like, a sliding scale? Like, either five stars or yeah. ranking from, like, one to ten, ten being the best sort of thing. Like, where would you put this book? So, I didn't think it was the worst book I've ever read. Um, it definitely gets into that um, dime store, like, pulp sci-fi territory. It's very... Yeah. Uh, it's 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 very predictable to a certain amount. It's 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 not the most. I didn't like it at the beginning uh, when it was just uh, the main character May. Uh, later on, there's other characters that are introduced and the action kind of picks up. But the first half of the book is very like it was a little bit difficult for me to get through, and then it picked up later, and I actually found myself enjoying it. It's a quick read, so I, I didn't mind that too much. It was only I listened to my audiobooks at one point twenty-five, uh, and it was a six-hour listen, so it wasn't the it wasn't a slog. But there was definitely points where I was like, "Come on, like what's going on?" It was very slow, but overall, it was it wasn't bad. It wasn't great. Uh, some of the stuff kind of threw me off that we've already just covered i'd probably give it like a five or six like a maybe a six six point five out of ten it wasn't wasn't the worst thing i've ever read wasn't the best but like overall would you say that it was worth the dollar it was definitely worth a dollar <laughs> yeah it's, it was definitely worth an audible credit you know like <laughs> But it wasn't like I wasn't blown away by it. But there were definitely some points where I was like, "This is good. I like this." And then there were points where I was like, "Gosh, darn it! May stop being like the a lot of it's it falls into that sort of main character problem where like mm -hmm. there's a lot of moments where the main character is saying, "Hey, we have to do this." It's it's just like, but like nobody's listening to him like and he's just like has to go out and do it his own way which is kind of, which is you know kind of a trope that things fall into it's definitely a main, main character syndrome type novel if that makes sense absolutely uh brennan we're gonna go to you uh overall without giving any kind of like spoilers or anything like that uh, where would you put this book on your ranking? Is it something you would recommend to a friend? Mm -hmm. Was it worth the dollar? 
Yeah, yeah. I'll rate a four out of four quarters. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I would, I would absolutely say that before I recommend this book to somebody, I would, I would have to preface it with historical context for sure. Um, looking back on this book, I almost, I almost would would only recommend it situationally. I feel like. We think about now, we think about, does a television television show pass the Bechdel test? And um, we think about, hey, do we have representation? This book is very much told from, I, I'd say, white male gaze. So I'd say I would recommend it with some caveats. I will also say that I recommended this book because I specifically love looking for diamonds in the rough. I love Del Rey paperbacks. I love TNG adaptation novelizations. Um, I love specifically the D and D Forgotten Realms paperback novelizations, and just looking for quality where I guess it isn't to be expected. Mm-hmm. And I will say that this book does have some interesting themes that surpass my expectations. It's called the Angel's Luck um, uh, Maze Ship in the book. There's a recurring theme that you're not supposed to name ships after divine luck and divine providence Mm -hmm. similar to when uh you go to an airport and even today every airport in in the united states at least has a chapel because of the sort of inherent uh risk involved with flight there's sort of an inherent risk uh referenced in space travel and i like the idea that may is always deferring to divine providence trying to help him get through things when i think ben would agree with me on this more often than not, May's misfortunes are due to his own hubris. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of him sort of always looking to the heavens when his problems are right in front of him. Mm-hmm. And the beginning of the book is a little sloggy because his co-pilot, Dexter, is a terrible person. And he he is in a bar with him at the beginning and basically tells him, I want to have money and, and women and treats, and treats them as a possession, which in itself is, is problematic. And so I like the idea that as May hits rock bottom, his ship is possibly going to be repossessed. His co-pilot has run off with with essentially you know what should have been their money, taking away his scanning system off his ship and telling him, you know, good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, that when he when he happens on his on his new co-pilot Duke, who is not technically a co-pilot. Uh, is not skilled in space travel and is not um, as cool as he markets himself to be, that May is forced to be a sort of surrogate parent mm-hmm. uh, to Duke and learns in teaching uh, this far more innocent co-pilot, uh, you know, the skills of space travel, he becomes sort of a surrogate father. And in that sort of has to look at himself because being a, pro- being a protagonist in the first half, May is not necessarily the best person. Mm-hmm. And as the story sort of shifts towards Duke, and yeah. uh, told from Duke's perspective later on. We'll just leave it at that without any spoilers. Um, it's it's the classic the tale of, the of book gets better. Is yeah, yeah. I, it, it I found it a hard time liking May, and I think that's why I didn't like the book at the beginning. And then later on, I was like, ah, yeah, okay, I like Duke. Duke's okay. Yeah. Duke's good people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Duke's good people. So I think I, I love how the back of the book doesn't tell you this. But the quality markedly improves when May is forced to sort of change. You you are who your friends are, 
And I think that a lot of May's misfortunes were the people that he fraternized with. And as he sort of is forced into a surrogate father perspective, almost like Indiana Jones in Temple of Doom, Indy is very different in Temple of Doom than he is in Raiders. When, 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 he, when he has short round around, uh, he has to act differently, he has to behave differently. And I think, I think from that perspective, this book has merit. With that in mind, it would be prefaced with several caveats and several disclaimers. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what's your rating? I don't. I don't believe you gave my rating. Um, I, I, I probably, I'd say six out of ten. Uh, I'd say the fact that I have to preface it with with disclaimers. I think alone, it's yeah. it's sort of like an excellent skateboard routine. If you fall in that skateboard routine, it's going to hit you. You know. Uh, so I, I give it a six. Okay. So. Uh... Without going too much into spoilers, I guess you could say, um, what would you guys say is the thing that you guys liked the most about the way that the story is told? You know what I'm saying? Like, Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously, you know, you guys both enjoy it enough to at least, you know, kind of like stick with it and to, you know, uh, actually continue through some of its more problematic elements. What is it about this book that helps you to want to go past those elements to read the rest of the story? Yeah, and Brennan, uh, we'll start a, with you. Just as a quick aside, uh, thanks for the follow, Waking Ava. And I'm glad you're enjoying listening. But uh, Brennan, you go ahead. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, as a person who fancies himself an artist, I would say that true inspiration from any source makes me want to try it myself so if i watch a really good movie and i'm like oh man i wonder how what it would be like to do location casing for a film or i wonder what it would be like to be a cinematographer i remember reading white dwarf magazine as a kid and being like oh man i wonder what it would be like if i painted minis and lo and behold i have a problem in my basement (laughs) so when i read a really good book i always think when i was a little when i was younger like hey how would I approach a sci-fi or, hey, how would I write this kind of thing? And I think uh, the merit of this book that I would be excited to tell other people is I like the way that it approaches an effortless level of science fiction. Um, I've, I've had conversations with yeah. Ben in the past about sort of like real sci-fi versus like high concept sci-fi and how there's sort of two, there's a paradigm, there's two levels of realistic mm-hmm. sci-fi. There's the level we're at right now where if you're in space, you're either a billionaire, uh, ex-military, or or a PhD, mm-hmm. uh, right? You, it's high technology. It's very expensive to get into space. It's it's scientific and cutting edge. Then there's the garbage man in space, right? Yeah. There's the there's the very utilitarian level where working class people are in space because it's inherently dangerous, but it has to get done. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, this is very much the utilitarian level of space. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's what's interesting about it is it's very much like, you know, this is a guy basically trying to be an owner operator of his own spaceship. It's, it's, it's the space trucker thing. It's, he's not, yeah, uh, blue collar space travel. Yeah. Blue collar, blue space, collar space, travel. space travel. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he's trying to pay off his rig. He's trying to like, you know, 
do his thing. And I, I think that a lot of times is more interesting than a lot of this like highbrow, you know, Starship Enterprise thing. Because it's like, this is a guy, he's by himself. He has to have a co-pilot, but like pretty much he's, he's just doing their, you know, he's doing trade runs. He's, uh, he's, he's just, he's a space trucker. You know, he, he goes from planet to planet, you know, getting whatever he can, loading up with what he can, bring it to another place and try to fund the next run so he can pay off his ship and then live the high life. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I, I prefaced this last week with the fact that um, I found it to be very funny. It involves a heist, it involves crime syndicates, mm-hmm. it involves theft, and, and, and James gets punched in the face in like the opening 15 pages of the book. Yeah. It's funny because it doesn't try to be. Um, humor is always uh, true and real when it's inherent from the situation and when it's not forced. This book is funny because they, um, they approach James May's character almost like Lone Star in Spaceballs versus Han Solo in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He's in his Winnebago in space. Uh, it's very venture. I, I get vibes from Venture Brothers where it's like everything, mm-hmm. you know, there's this grand plan and everything falls apart. Mm-hmm. So I think the running theme of failure in James May's life, uh, you know, he's he's a divorcee. He, whenever he has a problem, he immediately goes to a bar. Um, the inherent fallibility of the character, I think, adds a lot of organic humor to the mm-hmm. story. Um, Duke, his new co-pilot, uh, is basically running away from the... F- I, I, it, it hints that he might be Mormon, because his, family, his family's pushing him into a bigamist double wedding, and he he immediately is like, hey, get me off this planet. And he lies about being a co-pilot. So there's a there's a, a an overarching theme of incompetence that I think lends a natural humor to the book. I thought that it was very effortless. I thought that the, the humor was organic. And I like the idea that the science fiction is presented in a very... Uh, organic utilitarian way. I mentioned to Ben earlier, I like the Master and Commander books. I think that the the movie Russell Crowe is fantastic. The books come with an accompanying um, glossary book. So they come with a, with a text that is there just to tell you uh, what the nautical terms are because they can be that confusing. This book is not confusing. It's a fast read. Uh, all of the science fiction terms are used conversationally so there's no time to pause and Hey viewer, this is what space travel is like. It's very rapid fire, and you yeah, pick it, up very quickly. It makes it like when they use a space, you know, like a you know space ter- sci-fi term. There, there, it's very obvious like what is going on. You know, like oh, this is the the VASAC. This is that's the navigation system, or it has something to do with calculating space travel or whatever. But. Um, chapter one ends with uh, Duke being strapped into the ship, and they're about to go into, I guess, their version of hyperspace. And uh, May is basically telling him, "It's too late for me to take you back, even though I know you're not spaceworthy. We're just going to have to go with it." And the very end of part one, Duke's about to vomit, and he looks at the nameplate on the ship and sees it's called Angel's Lock, and he's like, "You really need to change the name." And then the chapter ends, and that's a that's a big strength of the book: inherent inherent fallibility effortless humor and the sort of colloquial um, conversational level with, with with which it explains its sci-fi I think are, are the are the strengths that I would recommend about this book okay uh, we're gonna jump into uh, spoiler territory since we're about at the halfway point um, but before we do I want to give everyone the option to you know if you haven't read this book already and if you're curious 
if you you know just have an interest in sci-fi or in uh, heist stories or just in general sort of that like blue collar space travel sort of thing you know maybe this book is right for you but be aware that it does have those problematic mm-hmm. elements to it uh and so like as a transition to kind of like move us into spoiler territory I wonder which punch came first, the one in this book or the one that Batman gave to Guy Gardner? <laughs> because they seem a little reminiscent of each other. Yeah, yeah, he gets one punched. Uh, mm-hmm. He does. Yeah, yeah. It's basically, May- like he's he's toe to toe with this like policeman, and all of a sudden, and then everything went black. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I'm he thinking like him. Spaceman gets punched once. You know, like yeah. yeah. Like, it's very, like, there's a callback there somewhere, I'm yeah. sure. If you guys have any experience with uh, with true pulp fiction of, of the time, uh, with true gumshoe detective mm-hmm. film noir, it's a recurring theme that women are otherworldly and untouchable and on a pedestal. Uh, the protagonist getting the crud beat out of him. If you think of Miller's Crossing, the Coen Brothers movie, uh, which is sort of a parody of film noir, uh, it's a recurring theme of the protagonist getting beat up. So you have the beat up trope, you have the down in his luck, you have crossing a criminal element. Um, you have a lot of gumshoe, film noir-esque, heisty mm-hmm. themes that come up in this story. And um, it only it only gets worse. It only intensifies. We, we, we had conversations about this book being similar to sort of Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, we're in, uh, you know, running afoul of of the Yesheng, a criminal element, um, having to go onto a heist. It, it, it very quickly moves from him being a freight trucker and it being from May's perspective. To and going a, remote, a smuggler, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he sort of he sort of He goes from being the trucker to the driver. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and he, and and here a, a big spoiler in chapter one is that May's essentially forced into smuggling because Dexter, his co pilot uh, while he's, while his jaw is wired shut, and while he's in infirmary after being beaten, uh, his co-pilot essentially puts it all on red, loses at the casino, then takes May's portion of the money and gets rich with it, steals his navigational equipment from his ship, which is it's illegal to fly without, and puts it in a much smaller pleasure craft like a Ferrari, and uses it to smuggle space cocaine. I, I think so, it's more like a yacht. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, it's more like it's a space yacht. It is a yeah. space yacht. It's sort of like I think in like Shadows of the Empire, it's like Jabba the Hutt has a has a space yacht. The Huttese yeah. have it's it's a space pleasure cruiser that's much smaller than a freighter. He steals James um, a navigational system that's meant for a much larger ship, so that he can watch out for space cops and so he can smuggle space cocaine. And uh, so May is left with a ship illegally without without a navi- uh, a danger like navigational system, mm-hmm. and he's forced very quickly to sort of make decisions that venture on the illegal. Yeah. And so that's that's where our story is. That was, uh, that was a fun part of the book where like May figures out that Dexter stole the ship or borrowed the ship. And so he's going to, like, he's on this bureaucrat, it's on this, like, backwards planet that's still, like, somewhat high-tech, so he he gets bounced around to, like, eight different uh, crime departments trying to, like, get his ship back, and they're like, oh, oh, they left our orbit, so that's, that's not our thing, that's, you want orbital police, and then they're like, Oh, you you mean he's not in the system anymore? That means you need uh, galactic affairs or something. And then it, and then yep. he goes to he's like, oh well, he, he 
you took your ship under false pretenses, that means it's fraud. And then at the end, he, he goes through this like long list, and then on finally you get to the end of the, the chain. They're like, oh yeah, so basically, uh, since he took your ship with fraud uh, under false pretenses, then uh, that just means that we sell off the assets, and then you get a portion of what's your, your half or whatever is yours. And he's like, so wait, I want my ship back. And in order for me to be recompensed, I have to, you have to sell off my ship and then give me half back. And they're like, yeah, that's about sums it up. <laughs> He's like, uh, no, thanks. I'll just go find him and murder him myself. <laughs> and then as he's leaving the police station, uh, Dexter finds him. So it <laughs> comes back yeah. after like, he's got done like some kind of like cosmetic surgery to give himself like make himself a foot taller and be like this super attractive man, and he's got two two ladies on. Well, it has a lady on each arm, and he's like, "Let's go to this fancy place." Yeah. So, hey, yeah, yeah. That's that's chapter one. Uh, going into chapter two, he's with Duke, mm. and he he ends up finding he has a shipment of frozen beef because Duke's Duke's family on the on the backwards planet were uh, ran a meat plant. Commodities bro brokers. Yeah, yeah, commodities brokers, mm -hmm. and uh, and Duke. By the way, his name is his actual name is not Duke. It's like William, William something. It's very blasé, yeah. and he he goes. He's he's very similar to the Schofield kid in the movie Unforgiven, uh, where he hangs out with Clint Eastwood's character William Money. And when he finally kills someone, you find out that the Schofield kid had never shot someone and never fired a Schofield, and yeah. gives the revolver to uh william money and says i don't want to be a part of this no. so duke is sort of the assumed name of this kid who wants to get off a backwards planet and be very cool mm -hmm. it's uh it's it's well, sort he of gets, he gets drunk with the kid and the kid sells him because the kid's drunk he sells him beef for basically like criminally low prices and yeah. then um basically they they were the the family company was only gonna get their money back at like a quarter on the credit like mm -hmm. and meanwhile may gets to like sit on like 75 percent or something like that and then duke also talks him into like basically like they had two different conversations because you'll find out that may doesn't pay attention to anybody but his own like monologue duke, duke convinces him convinces himself that that or may convinces himself that duke is a co-pilot licensed co-pilot when Duke was just saying that, yeah, I have a degree from New Concordia University or whatever the name of the planet is. And... DeVry. <laughs> DeVry. <laughs> he basically has a degree in commodities from DeVry University. And he's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've, I'm, I've got my papers because Duke's, like, just trying to make a sale and and uh, and May's just trying to find a co-pilot and a new set of, you know, new cargo. <laughs> and, and then... And that yeah. And then you get in space and, you know, he's got the cargo for, like, criminally low prices. And then you find out that Duke is not a co-pilot and actually tries to leave via the airlock, even though they're already, like, on their way out of system. So, Yeah, and, and May, May has an idea about this, because he, um, Duke is leaning against the glass. And May's like, you know, if that glass breaks, there's explosive decompression. And then Duke freaks out, and he's like, if you were a pilot, you'd also know that that stuff's tempered against collision. 
but you freaked out as if it would break and yeah. he he has, he has his ideas yeah and then and then duke is so drunk that he zips himself up in a zero g bed and is too drunk to even show up to the cockpit yeah um as we go into chapter two he's showing him the ropes of space travel because at that point may's like if i don't teach him anything i'm out here by myself piloting and it's inherently dangerous with a ship this big uh you then find out that the shipment's not exactly good product now, do we? Yeah. So they get to this freighter, or, or like it's an oil rig, I think. It, that's like basically a huge fuel hydrogen fueling station for basically a refinery to, to like harvest hydrogen for fueling ships. So, and May's got a contact there, and he's like, oh, they always need food. We'll go there. And then you find out that this uh, ship had a sort of... Uh, very fortuitous uh, crash happened near it where they ended up with a colony ship where all hands were lost and they had like all the food they could ever need for like a year so like they actually had like live cows so like they, they were selling this beef that that uh, May was going to sell for like a stupid amount of profit he couldn't like it was like if beef crashed to like a quarter of the price so like they couldn't sell it and then all this stuff and uh, then that's when the the guy that tries to repossess his ship catches back up to them they steal the ship because the Shang Tsung uh, whatever the they name don't. is Shang Tsung, <laughs> wrong the, name the Ye Shang the, the Ye Shang uh, sorry, Street Fighter character not or Mortal Kombat not uh <laughs> Uh, your soul is mine. Your cargo is mine. Yeah, your cargo is mine. <laughs> your cargo is mine. Because he was gonna this, be next. this guy that's basically a loan shark that sold him the ship was going to take it. So they stole it back from, broke out of prison and stole it back because there's some sort of honor code where you can uh, offer back a third of the, what you stole as sort of like an honor thing as repayment. And then they screw it up, screw up that deal. Guy breaks the bad guy's leg. Uh, May breaks the bad guy's legs by throwing a desk on him. They flee. Uh, they get back. Get back on the ship, and it's there's all kinds of hijinks. And that's where they encounter a mercenary who's basically like, "Hey, I got a job for you," and uh, shenanigans occur. And now all of a sudden, we go from space tra space trucker sh book to heist movie. So. <laughs> Exactly degree. where I think that, uh, I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong here, but like I really feel like this book was probably like leading up to the high story. You know, oh it's yeah, setting all the pieces. It's basically like so, so like, like you know what's going on. The whole point of the thing was May. The the whole point of the first half of the book is May wanted to make his money legit. He wanted to pay off his his spaceship by you know not. You know, not doing selling drugs, not selling weapons. He wanted to be like on the straight and narrow the whole way, do his own thing, and that's for the reason why it's called desperate measures. Because every single moment leading up to the, them agreeing to this heist is like May digging himself deeper and dig deeper into a hole where this only option is to basically join this heist. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you, Brian, because. Um it's very obvious the story is pushing May and Duke towards a heist because you think of a very glaring plot hole when May is doing things legally. Mm -hmm. When he's buying commodities, 
he only ever checks the demand for the commodity when he gets to the location where he's selling. Yeah. They have interstellar travel. They go FTL. They have all sorts it's, of... It's all obvious that they have interstellar communications. Like he, he doesn't check the internet. He doesn't check stock prices for any of these commodities until he gets to the place where he's selling it. It's like you could be having a, a cup of coffee on your planet. You're like, okay, uh, they don't need meat there. I'm not going to fly there and sell it. Instead, they're like maybe, in space. Maybe oh, that's yeah. Why, maybe that's why Duke had trouble selling this load of beef anyway. It was because of this thing. <laughs> you know, that's probably why Duke couldn't offload the meat prior. <laughs> There's a good chance he lied to May just, just to get rid of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so May is not very good at, at the job he was doing because right. he... he he doesn't. He doesn't check uh, commodities prices until he gets to the place. Yeah, it's no, like uh, it's very obvious that May yeah. only ever wanted to be a pilot. He didn't want to be a trader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's yeah, bad you, uh, at trading. <laughs> you, you you think of Robert Baratheon? He, he he loved fighting. He loved warring. And as soon as he got the throne, he had no idea how to rule. Yeah. May May liked the idea of going to space. He loved the idea of owning his own ship. All the work involved, he was no good mm-hmm. at, at, at doing it. Yeah. So so then we very very strongly shift towards a heist uh, book, and you get the you get the character of Lee, who uh, I I didn't listen to audiobook, so Ben tells me that the audiobook representation of Lee is very problematic. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> uh, we're we're, <laughs> we're we're gonna say it's about as bad as uh, what Mickey Rooney and Breakfast at Tiffany's. Uh, yeah, probably probably around there. Yeah, probably that. that probably like, John John was, Wayne is Genghis Khan bad. Yeah, that bad. Yeah. I'd put it there, around there. Bad. Yeah, and that's that's why this book can't top a six out of ten uh, yeah. at the very least. Yeah. Um. And so so they encounter this this basically what the heist is if we're wanting to get into it is basically yeah. there's this company that as an end of life thing for all the greatest minds in i guess they use the universe in this case because it seems like uh humanity is intergalactic at this point i don't i don't don't know if it's galaxy or i don't know if it's universe um but they what they were doing was there was this company that was figured out how to implant memories from people into other people so they, they they could basically like when someone passes so say they're a great mathematician or a pilot or a or a historian or an economist or whatever their brain juice can be extracted smooth the milkshake put, i yeah, drink your milkshake can be like put into like a serum enzyme that when you're injected with it it gives you the innate abilities of the person. You know, you get some of their memories, you get some of the, you get their knowledge. And the whole point of it was there's the, this, the ship, this company was shipping these like hundreds of like, basically it's, it's almost like the some human knowledge of people that was going to be passed down as sort of a thing to like, all right, this guy's a great mathematician. We give him some more mathematician juice, and he gets a becomes a better mathematician or whatever. So they, all these famous, you know, mo- the 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 universe's greatest minds were about to be transported, and the shipment was lost. 
But what you find out is, is this, this criminal syndicate had gotten a hold of it. And I don't think it's right to call them a criminal syndicate. They're basically like this rival, uh, nation gang gang they're a gang they, they have they use shady tactics but they're they are their own government but it seems like they're very authoritarian and stuff like this they have the control of a bunch of planets that is against like the rest of the f federation so to speak um and this the, oh god are they ferengi Kind of, it's almost that bad. But they're still human. But they're they they use a no no word for describing them. Oh it's, no, which we're not going to use. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're basically this. It's this this. It's like if you took so they they constantly refer to Terra as this like hellhole that like you. It's I think at this point in humanity's history. Terra has become like a prison planet or something. That's the way it's referred to. They they refer to Terra in this book as, as like the Darren. last place in the universe you want to be. Yeah, it's like how Darren Bailey describes Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty close. It's like, oh, it's rife with crime and it's polluted and no one would want to live there in their right mind and, and you just don't want to be there. And that's where you'll end up if you do this, blah blah blah. Yeah. Um, it's almost yeah. It sounds like it's almost become like the prison planet of the the government, and the so they have this. So the 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 bad guys have these like the brains, of the, the 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 world the the universe's greatest minds, and they're transporting it from one place to another. And Lee, who we we previously mentioned, was an inside man who was going to be driving the armored armored car. So he gather they gather this crack team of mercenaries to uh, to uh, basically like Lee planned out every facet of his heist and the heist starts and obviously this is a heist book it immediately all falls apart because like Lee starts losing his nerve, uh, things, the timing start not working out. Some of the mercenaries that were hired don't get along with each other. You know, bad stuff happens, all kinds of fun stuff. The heist, the heist is obviously the best part of the book. Uh, they have this crazy guy that was supposed to like load up this tank of, uh, there's this like knockout gas, which, which is, I can't remember what they call it, but it's basically like this instant like knockout gas that they'll like pump cabins full with to like knock everyone out. Uh, but instead of putting knockout gas in this like crazy like bomb tech guy fills it up with chlorine gas and murders the whole armored car, but in the process is killed in the line in battle and stuff. It's What's interesting is another thing that's interesting is Duke has this little like uh, spidey sense going on that it gets referred to multiple times. And finally, one of the mercs is like, I want you on my fire team. He's like, why do you want me? I don't know anything. I, I've never even fired a gun. He's like, you grew up on, I can't think of the name of the planet. You grew up on this planet, right? He's like, yeah. He's like, well, apparently when this colony of was formed, uh, it had crazy... Uh, weather phenomenon and volcanic activity and stuff. So this planet was so 
hard to exist on. The, the whole thing was like everybody who grew up on this planet was due to like years and like generation after generation of evolution has developed a sixth sense for when danger is about to happen. So there's multiple points where Duke's like, the hairs on the back of Duke's, Duke's neck stand up, and he's like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> it's like, we need to not do this. And then immediately something bad happens because nobody listens to Duke. <laughs> Duke, is, Duke is canonically, I guess, he's equivalent to Space Australian. Yeah, yeah, he's Space Australian. He's Space Australian. Yeah, and it's just funny because there's so many times, so it's like, I think that's the point where I got really annoyed with May. Is because like later on in the book, like every time May has every time Duke's like I don't feel, have a good feeling about this, Duke ignores or May ignores him. Mm -hmm. It's like what are you talking about? It's gonna be fine. Bad thing happens, <laughs> and then like every time, the next time something bad is about to happen, May ignores him again, <laughs> and it gets really frustrating. I was like. At a certain point, aren't you gonna like listen to this guy who's apparently like your radar for when when shit's about to hit the fan? <laughs> there are a ton of parallels uh, of May to Doc Venture. Yeah, where he's what are you talking about? It's gonna be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's older than his all of his subordinates. He's begrudgingly a father figure. He's completely confident in his own abilities that are insufficient. And everything he touches turns to failure. He, it's very, very parallel. Except, um, oh, he also has, he also has facial hair. And Duke's Brock Sampson. And Duke is Brock Sampson. He's 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 a lot less self confident than Brock Sampson, right. but he, but he's no, equivalent. Because it's not because it like refers to like this dude like knows like it's referred to how big of a dude Duke is all the time. And then he is, he's farmer. He's he's corn fed. He's yeah, farmer. He's, he's a corn fed farm boy, and uh, he can handle himself. And it's it's just funny because I also like when they. It's very much like that heist movie thing where it's like, all right, uh, May and Duke are like confer, and they're like, all right, do the thing. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, oh, like on Vegas Seven. He's like, yeah, do that one. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like uh, it's like Nat and Hawkeye, where it's like, remember Budapest, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. exactly what Duke and May are like immediately, and they're like, I love that part, but then like, so whenever they're planning for a fight, May listens to him, but like any other time, May's like, oh, shut up, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's um again, there are a lot of parallels to Big Trouble in Little China, where where one character is extremely proficient, yeah. and the, the other character is completely incompetent. Yeah. For some reason, for some reason they're not dead, and they yeah. get through it. Um, so yeah, uh, and and we, we do remind you that it is, it is part one of a, of a two-part series. So it, it does, it, it very obviously lends itself to not, not completing the full story. It's sort of... I wouldn't say it's a complete cliffhanger, but it's yeah. no. It, it buttons everything up nicely, but I guess they yeah. don't get the like the payout at the end of this book, do they? It's a bit of yeah. a cock tease. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, the money is not there. It's kind of like um, I wouldn't say it's like Fellowship of the Ring, where because that's very much like leaves a lot to be answered. I'm trying to think of, of one where it's it's kind of like Iron Man three, where they weren't sure if Robert Downey Jr. was coming back, yeah. so they sort of. They sort of tie things up with a bow, but it it leaves itself open. Mm -hmm. um, 
for that reason, I recommended it. I was like, it, it's it's more or less self-contained. Yeah, I don't know if we'd continue revisiting the series due to uh, um, just the problematic nature of the book, but I, I'm probably going to end up finishing it at some point. Yeah. I okay, well, I, yeah. I suppose uh, now's a good point to kind of like put our own bow on it and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, like move on to uh, what our suggestion is for next time. Uh, sure. I believe I'm up this time, so with the month of October right around the corner and whatnot, I was thinking, what do you guys feel about Clive Barker? Oh. Ah, I will I will never uh, play with a Rubik's Cube Clive Barker gives me, but I will certainly read his material. Okay. All right. Uh, then for our next book talk, or our next uh, book uh, talk, um, I was thinking The Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker. Okay. Now, for the fans at home, is it, is this what was adapted into Hellraiser? This is what was eventually Hellraiser, yes. Okay. Very excited, then. I've, I've never read the, the oh. written adaptation. So, yeah, this oh, is perfect what timing, eventually became Brian, Hellraiser. Because we'll, we'll be getting right into Spooktober right then when we when we review this book. So Exactly. So that's, my, that's kind of my uh, thought process there. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't really talked about our next episode next Monday, but I think the the Cosmic Horror one did pretty good. Did you have a do you have a topic you'd like to suggest for next week, Brian? I know I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit. Oh, let's see here. Well, if I mean, we're, are we going to kind of continue within that same sort of like vein of like, do we want to talk about something kind of spooky? Oh, I, th- I feel like we could. I feel like. I feel like next month needs to be Spooktober. We're starting a little early, but I feel like we need to do a little Spooktober stuff. So I think we're going to bring back some cryptid episodes. I think obviously we're going to do a spooky book for our for our first October session. But Okay. Uh, well, if we talked about cosmic horror last time, do you guys want to do something maybe a little bit closer to uh, the Earth? Maybe uh, something like uh, vampires? Ooh, we want to do some vampire, just like vampire, uh, gothic horror stuff. I think I think we could do that. Uh, uh, Joel says yes, all spooky. So let's do some spooky. Uh, so it sounds like next week we're going to talk about vampires. Uh, uh, are we going to do sort of like the history of vampires? Are we going to like? Well, that's the thing about vampires. They have a really uninteresting actual history yeah it's only once you actually get to pop culture that they actually have you know like really interesting history because like the whole story about vampires and this is a story we can contain in just like this one like quick bit here is that like the reason why we have vampires is because people didn't know how to bury their dead and they were poor that was it and they they basically buried people that weren't dead (laughs) no they they were dead but the problem was that, like, they would bury their dead in shallow graves because they were poor and they couldn't actually afford, like, you know, so they couldn't, like, afford a real proper burial. Yeah. They and then they just didn't understand under. how bodies yeah. co- decompose. So, like, yeah. when the horse would, like, kick up the dirt and whatnot and you would see someone and they'd still kind of, like, look alive, 
You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're like, oh, it's an un-, you know. It's, it, they didn't it know a how lot decomposition work. It de- decomposition takes a lot longer than what we think. Yeah, <laughs> well, especially when it's like really cold and they're like yeah. in a Hungarian winter or whatnot. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, oh, you know, like and, and then they'd had like believe that other people from the like the family because like one person dies. And they were probably sick, and then someone else in the family gets mm. sick. Oh no! Some they of must, you know, be some of it's like not, off of, yeah, yeah, not understanding how like typhoid works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so like, yeah. the actual history of vampires is really uninteresting because it's just uh, poor people who don't understand how medicine. Or I think it's still interesting, so we're going to touch on that. But also, <laughs> we'll talk about pop culture vampires. <laughs> you know, you got two history nerds in the building here, Brian. So, well. <laughs> I will give you the the historical subcontext of Vlad Tepes and and Vlad, you know Vlad the Impaler. Oh God, Vlad the Impaler, yeah, it's fucking Mr. Yeah. Stabby Stab, Mr. Stabby Stab. So, okay, yeah, we're coming up on time here a little bit. So again, uh, so it sounds like next week we're going to be doing vampires. Uh, the following week we'll be doing uh, Clive a uh, Clive Barker book, Hellbound Heart. Uh, as always, every Wednesday, catch us for our D&D stream. Uh, we'll be continuing our adventure through Fistandia's mansion in Candlekeep um, on Wednesday, and hopefully everyone finishes. And then the following week, we'll actually be adding a new player, so stay tuned for that. And then uh, also, I don't know if it's too soon, but we are doing in on... In mid-October, we're going to be doing a collaboration with another uh, D&D group and kind of talking, swapping some swapping some stories, sw- swapping some notes, talk a little bit about how our thoughts on D&D and that sort of thing. Uh, it's the original GM. Uh, you can find them on YouTube or on, or on Instagram, all kinds of places. And, but we'll get more up-to-date socials at some point before we actually release the episode so that I can throw it on the stream. And other than that, that's pretty much it for the episode. Do you guys have anything else to share or plug? Uh, just make sure that you uh, check out our YouTube channel for all of our past episodes. Uh, make sure that you follow us on social medias at uh, you know Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so on and so forth. Uh, we are, you know, podcasting, so you can find us basically anywhere that you listen to your podcast. Uh, so, you know, just make sure that if you like our content and you want to continue to support us, seek us out uh, on other platforms and uh, give us a follow there as well. You never know, we might start doing some uh, content specifically for other platforms. Or just give us a follow here, too. That would be great, too, but whatever. Um, thank you, guys, and we'll see you again on Wednesday. I've been Ben. That's been Brian, and below me has been Brendan, and we'll see you again on Wednesday. Bye-bye.